Welcome to the World Beyond the Tale, the Page a Day American Gods podcast. I'm your host, James, and today we're reading page 178. Lacerations of the myocardium, a 1.5 centimeter laceration in the right ventricle and a 1.8 centimeter laceration penetrating the left ventricle. Jackal removed each lung. The left lung had been stabbed and was half collapsed. He weighed them and the heart, and he photographed the wounds. From each lung, he sliced a small piece of tissue, which he placed into a jar. Formaldehyde, whispered Mr. Ibis helpfully. Jackal continued to talk to the microphone, describing what he was doing. What he saw, as he removed the girl's liver, the stomach, spleen, pancreas, both kidneys, the uterus, and the ovaries. He weighed each organ, reported them as normal and uninjured. From each organ, he took a small slice and put it into a jar of formaldehyde. From the heart, the liver, and from one of the kidneys, he cut an additional slice. These pieces he chewed slowly, making them last, and ate while he worked. Somehow it seemed to shadow a good thing for him to do. Respectful, not obscene. So you want to stay here with us for a spell, said Jackal, masticating the slice of the girl's heart. If you'll have me, said Shadow. Certainly we'll have you, said Mr. Ibis. No reasons why not, and plenty of reasons why. You'll be under our protection as long as you're here. I hope you don't mind sleeping under the same roof as the dead, said Jackal. Shadow thought of the touch of Laura's lips, bitter and cold. No, he said. Not as long as they stay dead, anyhow. Jackal turned and looked at him with dark brown eyes, as quizzical and cold as a desert dog's. They stay dead here, was all he said. Seems to me, said Shadow. Seems to me that the dead come back pretty easy. Not at all, said Ibis. Even zombies, they make them out of the living, you know. A little powder, a little chanting, a little push, and you have a zombie. They live, but they believe they are dead. But to truly... And that's our page. This page has Jackal continuing his work as a prospector. Important to note that he weighs the girl's lungs and heart, and the weighing of the heart, you may remember, was part of his job as Anubis in the Egypt of his origin, and this has continued into his stay in Little Egypt as well. Jackal takes small pieces of the heart and lungs, as well as many of the other organs, and makes samples in the formaldehyde. It was said on the previous page that he kept samples for analysis, but it didn't give any further detail as to what that analysis would be. Toxicology? Do they do those after death? I, I, I don't know. Formaldehyde is one of those words that I kind of started thinking about on my like third or fourth read for the page. It gets its name from formic acid, which itself comes from the Latin formica, not the counter, but it basically means ant. Formic acid gets its name as it's similar to a liquid secreted by certain ants, and formaldehyde is supposedly similar to this acid in many ways. Anyway, thanks for taking that journey with me. I was just curious. Mr. Jekyll also takes a piece of the girl's heart, liver, and kidney and eats them, and in this way he's able to consume a sort of sacrifice to him. In his case, he doesn't exactly get permission first. I'd say it's similar to the way that Bilquist receives her sacrifices, though at least in Jekyll's case, he isn't taking the life of an unwilling victim to get his sacrifices. Though, then I started really considering... I flip back to the end of chapter 1, pages 25 through 28, and the man isn't exactly unwilling. He's consented to the sexual encounter and consents to worship her, though I guess it would come down to whether or not he's coerced into this worship by her goddessly ways. Also, I'm not entirely certain if you can call that consent. It got me thinking. I don't know that there's enough detail on the pages to make that, a ter- that determination. A possibly 
literally mind-blowing orgasm notwithstanding, everything appears to be consensual, at least with the details we're given. But if you have a different interpretation, I would be very curious to hear it. Either way, this is how Jackal receives his sacrifices, and this is why I always distinctly remember this moment in the book, because it's just really depressing. You have a once-powerful god laid low and forced to scrape by with tiny slices of the newly dead when thousands of years ago there were temples and places of worship holding thousands and thousands of worshippers. It's this quietly sad moment, and we don't always get a lot of those throughout the novel, We do have one coming up, Mm, I think it's still a little ways off, but we'll have one with Wednesday again as well, and there's these little moments too where we get a hint of Wednesday having deeper emotions, and by the end of the book, I think we'll be really questioning whether or not we can believe him, and I think so. He's, He's definitely a deceptive bastard, but at the same time, I think he does let Shadow in at certain moments throughout the novel. Mr. Ibis tells Shadow that he'll be under their protection while he stays in their home, and this is one of those ancient ideas that shows up an awful lot in works of fantasy, and it also shows up in Neil's works pretty regularly as well. In Sandman, Morpheus invites a number of godly guests into his home, the Dreaming, and promises them protection while they are with him. One of his guests eventually rejects this hospitality and fights Morpheus. I don't need to tell you how that goes, but I bet you can guess. Shadow states he's okay with sleeping in the house of the dead as long as the dead stay that way, which gets him a pretty long questioning glance from Jackal. At the end of the page, we get a little bit of a detail about the creation of a zombie. Mr. Ibis notes that they are created from the living, unlike the living dead that are often shown in movies, shuffling from the grave in search of brains and familiar places. But one of the uh, more common theories was that there were certain uh, toxins excreted by a pufferfish that could be used to put people into a trance. Apparently that's one of those things that has been discounted, but in 2001-2002, when I found a couple of zombie books at my college library, I was like, wow, that's how they do it. And I believed it because it was in a book, and well, you can't lie in books. The word zombie, though, first comes to the English language in 1819, used by English poet Robert Southey as zombie with no E on the end, similar to the African word nazambi, meaning god, or zumbi, meaning fetish, in this case fetish meaning an object thought to have supernatural powers. And this will also maybe put in mind Sam Fetisher, who talked to Shadow in prison back in chapter 1, where fetisher is another word for a voodoo priest. Shadow is on one page, while Mr. Ibis is on a completely different one, but I guess we can consider that a little bit more tomorrow as we continue Mr. Ibis's mini-lecture on zombies and bringing the dead back from the dead. Get in touch with the show at theworldbeyondthetale at gmail.com and on Twitter at worldbeyondpod. Thank you to Julian Granganage for his version of St. James Infirmary Blues, which we use as our theme. And thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another page, and remember... Only the gods are real.